We have several scriptures this morning. The first comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. It says, So when Jesus had finished giving instructions to the twelve disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Meanwhile, John, who was in prison, heard about these messianic goings-on. He sent word through his followers, Are you the one who is coming, he asked, or should we be looking for someone else? Go and tell John, replied Jesus, what you've seen and heard. Blind people are seeing, lame people are walking, people with virulent skin diseases are being cleansed, deaf people can hear again, the dead are being raised to life, and the poor are hearing the good news. And God bless you if you are not upset by what I am doing. As the messengers were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What were you expecting to see, he asked, when you went out into the desert? A reed wobbling in the wind? No? Well then, what were you expecting to see? Someone dressed in silks and satins? If you want to see people like that, you'd have to go to somebody's royal palace. All right, so what were you expecting to see? A prophet? Ah, now we're getting there. Yes, indeed. And much more than a prophet. This is the one the Bible was talking about when it says, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will clear your path before you. I'm telling you the truth. John the Baptist is the greatest mother's son there ever was. But even the least significant person in heaven's kingdom is greater than he is. From the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcing its way in, and the men of force are trying to grab it. All the prophets and the law, you see, made their prophecies up to the time of John. In fact, if you'll believe it, he is Elijah, the one who was to come. If you've got ears to hear, then listen. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 1. Verses 19 through 36. This is the evidence John gave when the Judeans sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him who you are. He was quite open about it. He didn't try to deny it. He said quite openly, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked, are you Elijah? No, I'm not, he replied. Are you the prophet? No. Well, then who are you, they said. We've got to take some kind of answer back to the people who sent us. Who do you claim to be? I'm a voice calling in the desert, he said. Straighten out the road for the master. Just as the prophet Isaiah said, the people who had been sent were from the Pharisees. They continued to question him. So why are you baptizing, they asked, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I'm baptizing with water, John replied, but there is someone standing among you that you don't know, someone who is to come after me. I'm not good enough to undo his sandal strap. This took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. Look, he said, there's God's Lamb. He's the one who takes away the world's sin. He's the one I was speaking about when I said, there's a man coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I didn't know who it would be. But this was the reason I came to baptize with water so that he could be revealed to Israel. So John gave this evidence. I saw the Spirit coming down like a dove out of heaven, remaining on him. I didn't know who it would be. But the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, When you see the Spirit coming down and resting on someone, that's the person who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what I saw. And I've given you my evidence. He is the Son of God. The following day, John was standing again there with two disciples. He saw Jesus walking by and said, There, look, there goes God's Lamb. And if you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes and says, Of this I'm convinced, the one who began a good work in you will thoroughly complete it by the day of King Jesus. These are the words of God for the people of God. Over these next few weeks uh, of epiphany between now and the beginning of Lent, we're going to have a short series on what were people looking for in Jesus. What we'll find in the New Testament is some people were looking for something good, and there were some that were looking for something not so good. But regardless, basically everybody who came to Jesus was looking for something. Now in Lent, when we get there, I haven't completely decided what we're going to do, but I'm considering doing a series overview on the Gospel of Mark, because Mark's Gospel is the one that most focuses on the cross above all else. But for today, we'll begin our series on what people were looking for in Jesus. Since the birth of my children, one of the things that I've been most struck by is how fast they grow. I can't lie that I occasionally get a tear in my eye whenever I look at pictures and videos of them from just as short as just a few months ago to see how much they've changed. I think one of the hardest realizations that a parent must have is that they will not be able to be around for the entirety of their child's life. We work to provide a home and food for them. We do our best to show them Jesus through our lives, and we try to protect them from a very unforgiving world. But the reality is, is that there will come a day when Esther and I will not be able to be around to guide Delia and Charlie anymore, and that the work that we have started in our lives and in theirs, we will not get to see to its completion. That's the way of things. It doesn't make it any easier, and it doesn't seem very pleasant, but it is the way of things. At some point, we will have to trust that we have done all that we can, and that God will guide them for the rest of their lives. And in a way, I think this is the situation that was facing John the Baptist when he sent followers to ask Jesus if he was the one. 
This is kind of an interesting passage here, and a lot of times it gets glossed over, or people read over it, and they don't really think too much about it. But it's really worth exploring and trying to see exactly what was going on with, uh, with John. First point is, at this point, John the Baptist is in prison. And if you'll remember, he's in prison because he offended Herod, and in particular, uh, his wife. It said that Herod had taken his brother's wife. Now, this could mean a number of things, but I have a little bit of a hunch that probably what happened, because Herod's family was famous for this, he very possibly had his brother murdered so that he could have his wife. We don't know this for sure, but it's a... Very good possibility. Um, his father, Herod the Great, had had several of his own sons murdered because he was afraid that they might try to take the kingdom from him. So this is a family that has a tendency towards megalomania and uh, uh, killing their own. It doesn't bother them at all to do that. And I can imagine that being Herod the Great's son... Uh, the lesser Herod, probably, if he liked his brother's wife, he wouldn't have thought twice about having his brother killed to get his wife. That's an assumption, by the way, but it's good chance. There's some other things worth pointing out dealing with John in prison. Unlike prison today, where you're convicted of something and then sent to prison to serve out a term... Prison was a temporary thing. That was not the sentence. Prison is where you were held until the magistrate, the judge, or the king could decide what to do with you. And punishments for crimes back then were very immediate. Whenever the decision was made, you were either found innocent and let go. Didn't happen all that much. Or if it was something minor, they beat you to within an inch of your life. Or subjected you to some public humiliation. Or in all likelihood, more likely than not, they just kill you. Because it's easier to do that. So John is in prison. And in all likelihood, he is very likely aware to know that he's going to die in prison. This is the end of the line. He's not going to be able to continue his ministry anymore. What was John's purpose and what, what did John do? We didn't really go into this too much in, in Advent and maybe this year when we get to Advent we might talk a little bit about John the Baptist and, and his birth. But John the Baptist has a very important role in the coming of Jesus. The Old Testament prophets spend a lot of time talking about the coming Messiah, but they also give another little hint, and that, that is there's someone going to come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that was supposed to be one of the signs that the Messiah was imminent. And that sign was that Elijah was going to come again. Now it's very interesting, when we look at both these passages, John insists that he's not Elijah, Jesus insists that he is. 
And I think what the truth of the matter is, is that many people in that day thought Elijah literally himself was going to come down on a chariot just as he left. I won't go and throw out all that story. That would take too long. But they, many of them thought he's going to come back on a chariot in the same way that he left the earth and say, the Messiah is coming. And I think John is basically saying, no, of course I'm not that guy. But what Jesus is essentially saying, I believe, is that John the Baptist had come in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah's purpose had been to call the people to repentance. John the Baptist, his entire ministry was repent. The kingdom of the Lord is at hand. Make straight a highway for our God. In other words, stop all of the arguing, stop all of the politics, stop all of the griping about this religious matter and another, and realize God is about to show up, and you better make yourselves ready, because when He comes, that's it. That's basically what John did. He spends his entire life in what we would call more or less constant unpleasantness. He's living in the desert. He's having to dress in furs and eat locusts and wild honey, which doesn't sound particularly ideal. He's the son of a temple priest, so he could have had a lot nicer life. He's done all of this his entire life, knowing that his job was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And I'm sure somewhere along the line, someone told him, his mother, if nobody else, said, you know, your cousin Mary, there's something that happened when you were still in the womb that you might not be aware of. But now he's in prison. And he's not going to get to go anymore. He had experienced the wonders of Jesus' baptism. In the Gospel of John, he testifies saying, Look, I, when I baptized this man, the Spirit of God came upon him. And we know in the other Gospel accounts that this is one of the few times where we see the complete triune nature of God in one place in one moment. We have the Son being obedient, an obedient servant being baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down and rests upon Him like a dove. And God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We don't get that very often. But this is one of the main reasons why we point to God as having a triune nature. He saw this happen. He told some of his followers to go and follow Jesus because this has to be the man. And yet he's still in prison. He's going to die. The Romans are still here. Corruption still abounds, both in the political fabric of the nature uh, of the nation and in the religious establishment. And suffering is still commonplace. So John has had a low point, and he's beginning to have doubts, and he sends followers to go to Jesus and say, Look, are you the one? I need to know. I believe this is because he knows that his work is nearing completion. Whether it's a success or a failure, that's what remains to be known to John. 
He knew what he came to do. He knew he had been sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now he wants to know, did I succeed or did I just waste my entire life? Am I going to die knowing that nothing I did is going to have any matter, any impact? You know, I might as well have never been born. We've talked about what his work was. And the question is, was it successful? There were many people that came to John, heard him preach, and they did repent. There were some that did it for appearance's sake. There were some that did it sincerely. But the end goal was, did the Messiah come? I believe there are a lot of examples of God-given tasks that many of us will not see to completion. And you may not like to hear that, but it's true. The revitalization of the church universal in our nation and in the world. The faith journeys of our children and our grandchildren. And on a larger level, national and global revival and awakening and ultimately the final fulfillment of the kingdom in Christ's return God's will be done the struggle can be how can I rest and be at peace when I don't see the full fruit of what I worked so hard for and that I think is where John is at he's saying look I did all of this I'm not going to get to see the Messiah fulfill his destiny Did any of this matter? I'm sure for most of us here, there's something in our minds, in our hearts, that we all have going, thinking, is this going to ever come to some kind of good conclusion, or has it all been just a colossal waste of time? The good news is... I really think that this is the question that was on John's mind. Did I do my job? Did the Messiah come? And where is the kingdom? And the good news is in Jesus' response. John has sent his followers to Jesus to say, Are you the one? And as usual, Jesus doesn't like to just say outright. He never really does. But what he does say is, Look, The sick are being healed, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised, and the good news is being preached to the poor. What you have to understand is that those are all Yahweh things. Any other human being doesn't get to do them all. But to say, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, and this is happening... Is code language to say, okay, these things are happening, and only God can do all of these things together. So the answer to your question is, yes, I am the one. John can rest knowing that his work was done and that his work was successful. The way was prepared, and no, he will not see the fulfillment of the promise. He will be killed. 
But he can know that it is coming and that he did his part to make the world ready for it. And Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 touches on this principle. God will finish the things that he starts with us. But we have to trust him. Just like John, there will be many things that we have worked on our entire lives. In fact, I have this theory that the most important things in our lives that we do are the things that we won't see to completion. They're the things that we start and someone else has to finish. And it can be frustrating and disheartening at times, but I really think that's true. The most important things we don't get to see finished. It's really only the little things that we get to see finished. Sometimes we get to see the things that others started. We get to see those finished. And I think that's part of our hope. Is knowing, well, God started that in this person's life. And they didn't see it finished. But I got to see it finished. So whatever I'm starting and having to leave off, I need to know and trust God's going to finish it too. Just like John, there's going to be so many things like this. And that's just how it is. We don't like it. If we're honest, and I think that's normal, we, we won't like it. But there's no changing it. The examples that I mentioned earlier are just a few of those things that tend to weigh on our hearts. But God has given us a promise that if they are works that God has called us to, He is not going to leave them unfinished. Just as Jesus gave confirmation to John that yes, he is the one and that John's work is done, John will be able to go to his execution knowing, I did my work and God's going to see it finished. God gives us his confirmation to bring to fruition the works that he has called us to, but in his time, not ours. We can look at the example of John to find peace in those things that we know we will have to leave to the next generation and generations to come, the next witnesses to persevere as we have. God promises us that all the things that He has started in our lives, He will not leave unfinished. He is good and He is faithful to keep His promises. And that is something that should give us all peace in our heart of hearts. Amen.